Welcome to the Simple Cyber Podcast, brought to you by Internet 2.0, where our cyber intelligence specialists talk with other domain experts about the steps you can take to keep your organization safe. Hello, and thanks for joining us for another episode of the Simple Cyber Podcast. My name is Philip Nick, Head of Public Affairs at Internet 2.0. On today's episode, we talk to Ryan Yanosevich, co-founder and chief operating officer at Retrospect Labs, about what it takes to be a successful cybersecurity startup and what it's like operating in the Australian cybersecurity sector. Retrospect Labs is a startup that specializes in cybersecurity exercises and helps organizations prepare for their next incident. Before joining Retrospect Labs, Ryan spent several years working at the Australian Cybersecurity Center leading the Australian government's response to a number of high-profile national cybersecurity incidents and a bunch that will never become public knowledge. Ryan has also spent some time in the private sector, heading up incident response and threat intelligence for a major energy provider. Welcome to the Simple Cyber Podcast, Ryan. Thanks, Phil. Great to be here. Tell us about your cyber background and why and how Retrospect Labs started. Look, I always describe myself as an accidental cyber person. I never intended to work in cybersecurity. It certainly isn't what I studied at university, as Phil would well know, because we were at university together a long time ago. Um, so I, I started my cyber journey when I joined the Australian Signals Directorate. Before the Australian Cybersecurity Centre was even a thing, I worked in what was then called the Cybersecurity Operations Centre, the CSOC. And our mission was very much focused on government networks, very top-end nation-state type actors, uh, compromising very sensitive Australian networks. So I was a part of that incident response team from a young uh, grad uh, very early on in my, my career as a public servant. Um, and I, I was a part of that incident response team on the kind of strategic management side of an incident. So we had a group of people that went out and did their amazing technical stuff. They did the forensic analysis. They did all of their clever things to understand what malicious activities had occurred on a victim network, how the actor had done all of the bad things that they had done and planned the, the best way to remediate that incident to get the actor off their network, off that network, and to improve the security posture of that network so the actor couldn't reacquire access. I was on the other side of that, more in a program project management role. So I was helping those techies, I was guiding them, I was setting the incident priorities, I was engaging with seniors and, and talking to the victim organisation to make sure that basically all of the pieces came together um, and that the incident response operation was successful. I guess you have to add a caveat to that with the, those incident response operations and what I grew up doing as incident response were you know activities that lasted from you know several weeks to several months to even 18 plus months long so really big really complex incident response activities not the kind of BAU day-to-day -day incident things that a lot of organizations out there deal with and I guess you know some of my my key takeaways from that time at the ACSC my key takeaways from working in that incident response team and seeing how so many organizations that struggle to, to respond effectively to an incident, or, or importantly, they struggle to minimize the harm or the impact from an incident. So something that should have had minimal impact or, or affected the business operations for a short period of time, you know, if you don't respond effectively to it, if you make a few mistakes along the way, or if you're not 100% sure of what you're doing, if you're not a really well-oiled machine, then that impact is always going to be more extreme. You know, the business is always going to feel more from that side of the incident. 
And that's what really inspired me to start Retrospect Labs, to join my co-founder, Jason, and to you know try and help train people through cybersecurity exercises to help them prepare for an incident, to help them get more ready for an incident. We talk a lot about readiness, and what we really mean by that is, is building that kind of muscle memory, You know, making sure that you're well-practiced, that you understand how you should respond to an incident before it even happens. So definitely had those key learnings and those key takeaways from my ACSC days, um, and that's what really inspired us to start Retrospect Labs and do kind of the flip side of incident response, if you will, You know, now being more proactive and going out and helping train and educate and prepare incident response teams rather than being in that reactive space in terms of going out and responding to incidents, which has also done um, a world of wonders for my personal life and not working 24-7 or being in an operational team anymore. Is that what you think sets yourself apart, Retrospect Labs in the market, that, that kind of experience that you have and background that you have in getting your clients ready? Yeah, really good question. So I think definitely that is a part of our uniqueness is Jason and mine's experience working for the ACSC. You know, there's lots of people out there that do have really fantastic incident response experience, but it is harder to get that really pointy end kind of, you know, truly APT, really large complex incidents um, to get your hands on that kind of thing. And so that's what that's what we're trying to do is to get people to have hands-on experience with a wide range of incidents, the big pointy APT stuff, as well as the daily BAU. I think the second thing that sets us apart, though, is that unlike a normal cybersecurity services or consultant firm, we are building technology. So we're building a cybersecurity exercise platform and the goal of our platform is to make it really quick, really easy, really simple for any organization to run their own exercise so that they can routinely conduct them, you know, much more continuously practice, much more continually exercise, get a wider number of teams and individuals across the organization involved in exercising, technical teams, but of course those other teams that are just as important to make sure that your incident response activities are really comprehensive. So senior executives, the media team, your privacy team or your legal people, getting all of those involved as well. So we're building our, our cybersecurity exercise platform, which I think makes us relatively unique in the market, um, to try and make it really easy for those organisations, for our customers to run their own exercises much more regularly. So the goal is there, rather than running an exercise once or twice a year, which is a great starting point, but it's not going to truly build that readiness, it's not going to truly build that resilience, is that our platform will mean you can run exercises daily, weekly, monthly, um, as often as you like, you know, big ones, small ones, simple ones, complex ones, to really get you know, proper readiness across the whole organisation and for all of those teams that are going to be involved in responding to the incident. So one of the things that we're interested in talking in the podcast today is about startups in the Australian cybersecurity industry. And obviously your your startup has been quite successful. Um, well, thank you. We want... <laughs> Subjective, of course. <laughs> we just want, I, I guess we wanted to know what your assessment is of the cybersecurity ecosystem in Australia. And if you think the settings are conducive to promoting, you know, scaling successful cyber businesses. Yeah. So... I'd say the startup cyber community in Australia is small but growing. Um, you know, I can probably think of most of the cyber startups in the Australian eco ecosystem 
Um, and I would like to think that I've got a good relationship with most of those startups as well. And and one thing to add to that is it's lovely to see, I guess, the support that we all give each other, you know, where um, constantly kind of chatting and calling each other to ask, you know, questions and, and find out ways of tackling a particular problem or a particular issue. I think it's fair to say that, that we all probably face really similar issues. And a lot of that comes down to, you know, the market, the Australian market being a little bit more difficult for startups to operate in. Uh, for instance, a lot of large enterprise customers, which for a lot of startups is, you know, kind of the goal, the, the key customer that we want, um, they can be very difficult to deal with. And, and not that they want to be, they, they often actually want to procure our services or they want to procure our product, but they've got so many, I guess, checks and balances in place. And being a startup, you're not a known quantity. So it can be quite hard to get over that hurdle and to get, you know, a, a reputation and a brand that's trusted enough in the market. So that constant kind of growing pain as well when you're a startup, you know, you're, you're not yet able to compete with the bigger players, but um, you think you're better in a number of key areas or you think you solve a slightly different problem. So it's a constant kind of juggling act of trying to work out all of these different things. But look, one thing I'd say is that in Australia, we certainly don't have yet that that culture or that uh, industry kind of network or, or support for a really, really, you know, uh, ideal set of conditions to make startups flourish. I think there's a few other countries that have, you know, their governments particularly have really backed up startup industry, not just from a cyber perspective, but more broadly as well. And they've really seen that part of their economy, you know, really, truly take off and they compete very much on a global stage with their startups now. So I think things like that are starting to emerge in Australia. We're seeing more support from particularly state governments in terms of how they help startups to grow and some of the um, opportunities people bring to the table from a, a support perspective. So that's really awesome. We're also seeing the emergence of, I guess, more accelerator programs for startups in Australia. Um, so for, for myself, for Retrospect Labs, we took part in an excellent cyber-specific startup accelerator program called CyRise. And that gave us, you know, connections and industry knowledge and insights to be able to kind of walk the walk, if you will, not just talk the talk. So things like that are definitely starting to emerge to help us. But I would love over the next several years to see a whole lot more support from, you know, various players in the market to make that startup industry really flourish in Australia, you know, really support, support that entrepreneurship and really, you know, I guess, create the environment where it's, it's a great thing for people to quit their nine to five and, and try to make a change, try to make a difference, try to do something that they're really passionate about because they've seen this gap and they think that they know how to fix it, you know, to be able to help people like that on the way, I think would just really benefit um, Australia as a whole. Yeah. Look, that's really interesting about, I guess, the support that's available out there. So, you know, in this instance, it might be good just to talk about the recent federal budget. We have $9.9 .9 billion in additional funding that was announced by the federal government. I guess it might be good to maybe get your perspective on what you think that $9.9 .9 billion actually does, because anybody who just, I guess, reads it quickly would think, oh, well, you know, that's $9, $9 billion for the entire sector. That's all the support there, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, if only it was that simple, right? And the proof is always, of course, in the pudding. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see how that money trickles down um, and how it gets allocated across government and what those projects or those programs actually end up delivering. And I think 
you know, again, it, it, it needs that almost grassroots level yeah. of action to really grow and support startups in Australia. I guess from a cybersecurity perspective, though, um, one thing that was great to see in the budget was more funding for our, um, you know, my ex-employer and our lead cybersecurity agency authority here in Australia, the Australian Signals Directorate. Um, so I think, you know, the, the recognition of the importance of cyber, the fact that we, we know that it fundamentally underpins almost every single sector within our economy, that support, that financial support to ASD, I would say, is certainly long overdue. And it will be really interesting and really exciting to see how ASDs and particularly the ACSC's capability grows over the next several years and how they um, in turn turn that growth and, and all of those new wonderful people that they'll go out and hire, how they then turn that into meaningful kind of outcomes and outputs for everyday consumers in the Australian economy. So large organisations all the way down to small to medium enterprises. You know, I can't wait to see how increased kind of cyber support really helps them to make us become a much more resilient cyber nation as a whole. So that will be interesting to see, but I think it's a great first step that there is money and it's a great first, um, perhaps not first, but there's other, there's been other budgets, there's been other cybersecurity strategies that have tried to address these issues. But I think it's good to see a continued emphasis on improving the cybersecurity landscape in Australia. Of course, you know, we always wish these things went further. We always wish there was more money, more people. Um, but I think it's great to see the maturing of that conversation. And I think that's just really important that we continue to mature our conversation around how we tackle cyber as an issue in Australia. Certainly, it will require further funding in the future. There's no question of that. But it'll be interesting to see the next couple of years what particularly happens to, to ASD and the ACSC. The other thing that I saw with the announcement was 1,900 new jobs being made. And you know, we also have estimates from Cyber that estimates that another 17,000 cybersecurity workers mm. are needed by 2026. So what do you think is needed to achieve this? I mean, that's a lot of workers um, that a lot are of required. People. Yes, a lot of people. So, you know, maybe, you know, if you want, we can talk about like, the, the broader strategy that's required, or we can just talk from retrospects perspective on what they do in order to like, you know, build that capability. So we had those workers yeah. in the market. Look, that's, it's, it's tough because we're not just talking about workers. We're talking about very skilled workers yeah. that at the moment are highly competitively sought after. Um, it's a great time to have cyber skills because, you know, you're the, the, the job market is kind of your oyster at the moment. Um, Look, I think that is going to be a very big challenge for the whole of Australia. ASD and the ACSC in particular managed to managing to, first of all, retain, uh, recruit those people and then secondly, retain them because uh, employers that offer a whole lot of additional things over and above what government can offer are still struggling to recruit and retain skilled staff. So it's going to be a really, really big challenge. Look, there are a number of great initiatives underway that are aimed at, you know, for instance, reskilling veterans, um, getting more females involved in cyber, more women involved in cyber, supporting students at a kind of uh, tertiary level and introducing some of those skills that are needed for cybersecurity. So I think that's really great and that's really important. Obviously, all of those initiatives need to be scaled up significantly. And especially from a, a TAFE or university perspective, you know, that there simply put needs to be far more um, 
courses that are aligned with industry's requirements made available to people because I think it's really hard at the moment to get skilled people fresh out of university or with some sort of skill. I guess, though, you know, ironically, I'm an example of someone that has no cyber qualifications whatsoever, even though I've now worked in cybersecurity for, for 10 years. Um, so I think that also speaks to the fact that we need to, from an employer perspective, not just focus on, I guess, people that have technical skills or hardcore technical capabilities. I'm the first person in the world to admit that I'm, I'm not technical. Um, you know, I do, I understand the language and I think I know the right questions to ask or, you know, when there's an issue I can, can identify, but I've never been a hands-on keyboard type person. Um, it's just not my, my skill set. But I think that speaks to the importance of all of these other people that we need to complement that core cybersecurity workforce. So again, that's not just a technical cohort of people that can do that forensic analysis on a piece of malware, or they can implement, uh, you know, a, a change to a security policy. Of course, we need those people, but just as critically, we also need to train, recruit, retain a whole another set of the workforce within the cyber sector that supports those people and that enable those people to to go out and do their work. And I think this kind of leads me into how we recruit at Retrospect Labs because we focus a lot more on aptitude rather than demonstrated skills, knowledge or experience. So we're a team of eight people at the moment. Um, and of that eight, we have, I'll quickly count off the top of my head, at least three people that we've recruited fresh out of university who were interns with us. And those staff were, you know, just so eager to learn. They were so um, energetic, enthusiastic, and, and of course had great personalities. And they were just such an easy choice for us to say, let's retain them. Let's offer them a full-time job out of university. We understand and we recognize that they're not going to bring, you know, that, that kind of industry standard knowledge, skills, and expertise to the table straight away but we're happy to invest in them and train them and give them opportunities because they obviously help us grow at the same time. So I think it's, I guess, a better recognition of, you know, you can have uh, degrees and qualifications and, and, you know, lots of letters after your name, particularly in cyber, CISM, 7,000 other qualifications that people can obtain. But that isn't really the end game, I don't think. And I don't think that builds a really super effective workforce. So I think certainly being able to look more broadly at what are the kind of skills you need and how can a broader set of people fulfill those skills is really, really crucial. And if, if we're going to increase that cyber workforce, you know, if, if ASD are going to hire an additional 1,900 people, if as per Offsider's reference, we have, you know, 17,000 additional cyber work is needed in Australia, which is probably, frankly, a conservative um, estimate as well. We really need to look more broadly and change some of those hiring practices. And I think really importantly, we need to start investing back in our people more. Something that I think government's actually really great at doing. My own experience in government was certainly that their willingness and ability to invest and train their, their staff and their teams was really, really amazing. The training opportunities I had when I was at ASD were, you know, 10 out of 10. If I if I needed to do something, I was always supported to go and do it. Um, I'd love to see industry start to invest in its people as much and stop seeing, I guess, 
training as almost a negative and a cost because it actually is, you know, a positive cost, if you can phrase it that way. It's something that gives back to the organisation. Um, and certainly I think it's, it's really critical if we're going to actually maintain that cyber workforce, not just grow it. We need to be continually investing in those people. So that's a really long way of saying, I guess, taking a bit more of a chance and a bit of a leap of faith in a very educated way, obviously, not hiring some, some random off the street, but being able to, you know, think about how you can use people's skills and their abilities to, uh, you know, perhaps a non-traditional way and what the, the bigger picture outcome is there if you invest in them and if you give people the opportunity to grow and to really shine. Um, I think that's something that we've been really good at doing because we have to, because we're a startup and we can't afford to recruit someone that's super experienced and that, you know, pays a cyber um, market rate for their for their salary. So it's it's a great thing that we do, but we do, I guess we were forced down that path because we kind of had to. Um, but I think it worked out really, really amazingly for us. And I certainly wouldn't wouldn't change that at all in terms of how we've hired people. So I think there's a lot to be learned for the rest of the industry in, in that instance as well. Do you think there's an element of culture that comes into this when we're trying to attract, you know, uh, skilled people? You still have kind of the hooded person with a laptop branding of cyber. Uh, yeah. I think that's it will, it will change. It has to change. I mean, what do you do? What do you think needs to be done in order to change that kind of cultural, yeah. you know, um, perspective on cybersecurity? Absolutely. And, you know, those barriers simply have to be broken down. Um, I think cyber is seen as an outlier on most org charts, right? And most people are afraid to deal with those people. Um, sometimes you can you can understand why. In my experience, I can certainly understand why I want to avoid talking to some very scary kind of technical people. But I think we really have to work harder at breaking down those barriers. You know, one example is late last year, we ran an incident response based competition through the Australian Women and Security Network. So we had over 100 females participating in this event. And the goal was really to give them some hands on practice at responding to incidents. They'd all gone through a series of programs through AWSN. So they had the theory and the knowledge and the skills, but a lot of them were just afraid, perhaps isn't the right word, but reluctant to give it a go because they still felt like from, you know, uh, such a male dominated world that they just would never be accepted or they wouldn't fit in or they wouldn't be given a chance to, to kind of learn on the job and to demonstrate their amazing skills and talent and things like that. So, you know, they were just so excited to have the opportunity to participate in this um, incident response challenge. And it gave some of them a confidence boost that, they, boost that they actually commented after that now they felt like they could go out there and start applying for those types of jobs because they had had a little bit of experience in it and they did think it was a good fit for them. So I think we really need to break down on, you know, some of those stereotypes, some of those barriers and focus a lot more on diversity and really trying to build more cyber diverse teams. It's also something that we focus very heavily on at Retrospect Labs, and I mentioned this very briefly at the start, but we're very big on not just engaging with technical teams as part of our exercises, because you can have a really great technical response to an incident. But these days, the ways incidents are played out in the media or the public domain or all of the regulatory legal privacy aspects that you have to be aware of, even from a senior executive updating a board perspective, if you don't get those things particularly right, 
the impact or the harm from that incident can be just as severe as the, the technical harm or the technical impact for that incident. So again, that's why we're trying to, I guess, expand the reach from an exercise perspective and make sure that we include all of those additional teams, you know, getting senior execs in the room with their technical teams so that they hear the language and technical teams understand the questions that senior executives are asking or the pain points that a senior executive will feel during an incident. Supporting media teams to produce, you know, more accurate media statements or responses to requests from the media because they have a good relationship with a technical incident response team and they've you know upskilled themselves in terms of what a ransomware incident is or what a data breach incident looks like so they they know the right questions to ask that technical team and the technical team understand better where the media team are coming from and what they're trying to achieve and that you know how they need to help the media team um, protect and preserve that company's reputation during an incident. So I think definitely, you know, we need to start getting more of these people, more of these teams together to build a, a, a nicer cyber environment for us to all work in, because sometimes it can feel, you know, very, very harsh and very um, isolating from the rest of a, an organisation. Let's change tact a bit. Measuring success, what does success mean for you in retrospect? Really, I guess, getting feedback that we're helping to reduce the severity of an incident because the team knows how to respond more effectively to it. I think that would be the ultimate tick of success for us. You know, if we can actually help the companies improve their incident response capability to the extent where out of all of these, you know, malicious incidents that are going to continue to happen because we know that the bad guys are highly motivated. We know that the bad guys are going to continuously target Australian organisations, big, small individuals, everything in between. If we can help those people to respond more effectively to an incident so that their business was able to stay operational, so that they didn't have to pay a ransom or that they understood how to respond effectively and help you know, their customers who maybe were caught up in a data breach incident more effectively, then I think that would be, you know, a great big tick of success for us. So that's certainly, you know, a goal that we would love to achieve in the next several years, being able to scale that across Australia and really help Australian organisations. Before I let you go, if you had some key piece of advice for someone who was thinking about a cyber startup, what would you tell them? Oh, what would I tell me a few years ago? One thing that I did that I found very useful was I talked to a lot of people. I think you have to take everything they say with a grain of salt and really, you know, they're not an expert. I'm not an expert, but I am giving it a go. So there's useful learnings and useful pieces of advice, but you definitely have to synthesize all of that information and think through it critically um, to arrive at, you know, the best decision for yourself. I think if you want to give it a go, there's lots of support networks out there. There's lots of accelerator programs out there. There's lots of great founders out there that you can talk to to make sure that you're in the best possible position to set yourself up for success. And I think that's what I would recommend is certainly doing your homework so that you are ready to hit the ground running when you do decide to execute. I think the other thing is you have to be 100% committed. I was very fortunate where I was actually able to leave my job and and join Retrospect Labs um, and dive, you know, full time straight in 
with the knowledge that I wouldn't get a salary for at least the first year. And in fact, I think it was longer before Jason and I actually started paying ourselves, which we are doing in a small way now, but it, it's it's something, right? Um, so you've, you've got to kind of jump fully in. I think that would be my biggest piece of advice is really, you know, 100% committing to it. I think a lot of people try to work part-time, work on this as their side project, you know, at nights or on the weekends. You're just going to get exhausted. You're not going to be in the best frame of mind to make the right decisions or to make those tough calls. And you're going to become frustrated and disillusioned with it. I think you've got to set yourself up for success by doing all of your homework, preparing as much as possible before you're ready to execute. And then when you are ready, just jumping straight in and giving it a go. Probably having a backup plan is a good idea as well. And that's why we're very lucky in cybersecurity because you know, I told myself if I tried this, if I tried this retrospect lab thing for 12 months, if it didn't work out, I knew I could go and get another job, you know, within a number of weeks, which I hope doesn't sound arrogant, but, you know, that is kind of the cyber market at the moment. Um, so I think you do need to have, you know, a good support network around you and a good backup plan in place um, because it is challenging and it is tough. And you need to, I guess, make sure you've got all of those things around you so that you, you're kind of setting yourself up as best as you can to be successful. But look, it's a lot of fun. The highs are really addictive and they feel so good, you know, when you achieve something or when you land that customer or when you see your product, your technology, you know, growing and getting more feature rich or, or um, having more functionality, you know, that's really, really bloody exciting. It kind of feels like you're growing a baby. Um, but at the same time, you, you do sometimes have some lows. I'm very lucky that for me, the highs have always significantly outweighed the lows. And I'm very lucky that I've got a great business partner. Um, we're very connected and we're able to talk through all of those things together. And we really, you know, support each other and we get a lot of support from our team as well. But you do have to be prepared for, for some lows along the way. Um, but I think it's absolutely a great experience. I've learned so much already in the very few years that I've been doing it. And I'm looking forward to learning a whole lot more over the next several years. With that, Ryan, thank you so much for sharing your insights on the podcast today. Awesome. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We appreciate your time and know you'll be able to improve your security using the information from today. And remember, when you need the best security for your business, speak with us and get the solutions that only Internet 2.0 can provide.